When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. PHLY Sixers postgame show. Derek Bodner joined in studio by Rich Hoffman. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, I uh, look, I'm the problem. You are. <laughs> Kyle is a system. You are the problem. The Sixers are two and four now with Rich Hoffman in studio to break it down post game. All four of their losses have come with you in the building. We have to take away your key card. I'm sorry. It's it's okay. I'm not going to be on for like. A week and a half here. The uh, the big issue is they didn't try tonight, man. Like they they knew how much they had going against them with my presence for the late night podcast, and they were terrible in the first half tonight. Yeah, I mean, really, they're terrible into that third quarter as well. Their defensive effort was just not there. Uh, the focus on both ends was not there. They dialed it up in a pretty impressive way there in the fourth quarter, down the stretch. But it just wasn't enough. And it sort of sets them up in a pretty tough spot now where they lost this game. They have to now travel to Minnesota against one of the best defenses in the league for a back-to-back. They expended a lot of energy here to get back into it. I give them a lot of credit for what they were able to do there in the fourth quarter and the way they were able to come back. And they really did lock Cleveland down for much of that stretch. But when you come up short like this, now you're staring at a, a real tough opponent. It was, uh, you know, it really just showed to show you in that fourth quarter when they were making that comeback, how well they were capable of playing defensively against the squad. And for them to have played so poorly in the first half, it was just all the more frustrating. So they won 54 games last year, right? And there, there were a bunch of times when they were very shorthanded when they won those games where it felt like, man, this is going to show up in the, in the win-loss column at the end of the season. They stole that game. It went really well. So this is two weeks in a row where it's the opposite, where I think this is kind of a double loss because you look, and that's a that's a Nick Nurse minute load, man. 41, 43, 47, 41 mm-hmm. for four of your five starters. And I don't know, like I, I probably wouldn't play Embiid tomorrow night in Minnesota, who's, you know, played really well to start the year, who has the rest advantage. It's just they have not handled these back-to-backs well. And that's the thing. If, if you are going to play all of your players in this game – Against a, a weakened Cleveland team, no Karis LeVert, especially no Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. It's just a completely unacceptable effort. And yeah, like it is absolutely bizarre how much they ratcheted it up. Like I thought their first two and a half quarters, that's as bad as you can play defensively. From then on till the end of the game, it was unbelievable. I thought every bucket Cleveland got was like kind of lucky. Like yeah. I'm thinking of that. Garland bank that three. three. Yeah. I'm thinking of some of those offensive rebounds they got. Obviously, the Sixers need to finish the possession, but Stan Van Gundy even said it on the broadcast. Like the, their initial defense and the way Embiid ratcheted up around the rim and Pat Bev, it was really a remarkable comeback. But the problem is you have to finish that comeback off. And I, I think they dug themselves too big of a hole. Um, you know, and it was one of those things where Embiid and Maxi, pretty inefficient games for both of those guys, felt like they were just gassed at the end. And yeah, it's, uh, it's an issue because I don't think they're winning that game tomorrow. No, it's going to be tough. And Nick Nurse did say before the game uh, that the plan was to play, the play Embiid for both halves of that back-to-back. Uh, I'm not sure if necessarily anything has changed. We do have Kyle there at the arena. He will check in later in this show, so we will certainly ask him about that. But it is a massive, massive loss opportunity. And look, there was, you know, in the first half, 
there the 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 Cleveland was shooting I forget exactly what they were shooting at the rim but I think they had 44 points in the paint in yep. the first half. I think they did that on about 25 shots something in that range. It was an absurd level of efficiency and Garland would just get by the first line of defense and Bead would step up, get caught in no man's land. Nobody would rotate on the backside to help him and there was just no communication. There was no real consistent effort. There was no real ability to fight through screens. It was a complete breakdown in all facets of the defense. And it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of communication either. You add in all of that with some mis- miscommunication, uh, some switches that didn't happen, some times when both both players ran towards the ball. It was just really, really frustrating. I don't know how else to phrase it. So, so tonight, because I think a lot of people look at those lobs over Joel's head and some of those easy buckets that they were giving mm-hmm. up, it, how much blame do you place on the perimeter defense, because it really did feel like Darius Garland got in the paint yeah, whenever he wanted. He wanted. Yep. And how much do you put on Joel for not putting out those fires on the back end? I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like we rely on Joel a lot for that when the Sixers perimeter defense at times, especially Maxi. Maxi seemed like really was the one struggling for much of the first half. Uh, you're putting your your big in a bad spot for sure, but part of Embiid's job is to find that middle ground where he can contest and recover. And he was nowhere near. And when Bede has a night like tonight where he just didn't, like energy-wise, didn't seem like he had it, focus-wise, didn't seem like he had it in the first half, that being caught in no man's land is especially pronounced. I would say Embiid was bad for in the first half defensively for sure. Like, I don't want to let him off the hook just because Tyrese Maxey and maybe some of the Sixers' other prone defenders were also bad defensively. But Embiid was not good for sure. It felt, and, and this is going to be rough on Joel, he looked like Mo Bamba a little bit. At times oh, wow! In that first half, well, he he just let the ball go over his head. No, I, right? I hear and what you're saying. And look, I think he was he was under siege. But you know, as much as he did look like Mo Bamba, I thought their perimeter defense was an absolute joke. Yes, <laughs> in the first half. And and Maxi is somebody who, like, look, I thought Tyrese was one of the worst players on the floor tonight. Like he was inefficient on offense, and he struggled with the Cavs' physicality. But he also got hunted defensively the entire game. Like he was really the Cavs. Only like the, the only place they could look to get good offense towards the end. Um, he really struggled, but it wasn't just him. I thought Covington was terrible to start the game, just getting back cut all the time. The Anthony getting back cut all the time, just blown switches all over the place. And you know, it's Derek. It's kind of this weird thing. I thought this team, especially with all of these wings, would turn into kind of more of a defensive juggernaut, right? I thought the offense would be where they have struggled. Yeah. Now I know they struggled offensively tonight for the most part. But their defense has been kind of shitty over the past yeah. couple of weeks here. And and the offense has been kind of the elite unit. And it just goes to show that, um, you know, it's not exactly what I expected coming into this. No, they came into the game. I believe they had the number one ranked defense in the league. I will double check that here. As or I'm sorry, the number one ranked offense in the league. Uh, like I said, I will double check that here. As we talk, it is third according to Clean Glass. It was first according to Basketball Reference. Uh Difference is really just how they calculate possessions and tripping out garbage time doesn't matter. They had a really good offensive squad and they were a little bit middling defensively. Uh, 10th in the league, according to cleaning the glass. That's not good enough. Uh, I know when Kyle and I set our sort of like preseason expectations, we were expecting them to be like a, a five through seven level defense. And really they're 10th, but over the last week or two, they've fallen pretty far. I know at one point they were up in the fifth range, they have struggled. And that perimeter defense especially is where you look to because there are some players like Maxi. And look, I think Maxi has made tremendous growth. I've got growth this year. I've got an article on the way about some of that. The one area where he still struggles is defensively. And we saw a couple times, I forget, who was the one where he got the mis- real bad miscommunication from? Was that? That was with him and Daniel House. Yeah, yeah. Just both going the same way on a pick and roll. Next wide open on a uh, kind of a double drag screen. And that's something that we saw a lot in previous years. We sort of blamed it on Harden. Again, one miscommunication, you don't want to read too much into it, but it is something that they've just got to be better. And the recognition's got to be there. And when you combine that lack of recognition with maybe not enough communication and also a down game from Embiid, in terms of the effort, it was just not good enough. And I, I, I do give them credit for dialing up at the end. It was incredible um, how they dialed I give, up. Really and Bede was much better towards the end. Patrick Beverly was incredible defensively towards the end and also then hit the floater, which for a second we thought might be the game winner. But when you take three quarters off, it's tough to give you too much credit for finally putting in the work. With Maxi and the switches, it also kind of reminds me of the old Nick Sirianni, when when Derek Barnett has a penalty, he says it's always him, right? And yep. 
I don't know. Whenever there is a botched switch with this team, I always find myself saying it's always him. So that's something he needs to be better at because like he is the guy who needs to communicate because other teams are going to hunt him in terms of screening with his man to try and get those mismatches. And it has not always been there. Um, but overall, and I think this is something I've talked about in this early part of the season. I do think this Nick nurse scheme requires a shit ton of effort. And when they don't have it, yeah, it's really bad. Yeah. Cause they can really be out of position. Right. And yeah. I think, you know, when you're a little more conservative, when you're a little more of the, the Dan Burke doc defense from the past couple of years, I don't know. Like, I feel like stay at home. You, you can be less out of position. Like you were saying now that said, when the effort is dialed up and it looks like the, you know, the fourth quarter and overtime end of the third quarter, it's tremendous. Yeah. Like when they're rotating and getting steals and Pat Bev is weirdly the only guy who can get around a screen and, and contest Darius Garland, wh- whatever. Like it just felt like all of their rotations on the weak side, whether that's Tobias, whether that's Melt who played really hard tonight, missed a bunch of layups, but he played yeah. really hard tonight. Um, it, it just, it, it's wild kind of the fluctuations you get from this group. And I I am a little bit worried about that in the midst of an 82 game season. Like, you know, they do mix some zone in there every once in a while. And by the way, in that first half, they played zone on a couple of possessions and it was like a disaster. It's like George Niang wide open from the wing. It's like, we know that's bad. Yeah. You know, Um, and guys getting open, open dunks, but like, look, when they ratcheted up their defense at the end of the game, I, I thought Cleveland was frankly lucky to hold on at the end and at the end there, like they just, we're not getting good looks at all. It felt like a lot of like Max Struess, 35 footers, yeah. like Garland taking some really tough floaters, those types of things. That banker really was just a killer. Like that was a backbreaker. Um, but you're right. I thought they had to work for every shot they got. A lot of them weren't good shots, uh, but the Sixers looked like they were running out of gas too. And when before oh, yeah. before Tobias made that three, what did they miss? Five or six threes in a row to try to tie it. None of them could go down. Maxi looked like he was even getting a little bit tired. Maxi never gets tired. Joel definitely looked like he was tired. Some of those jumpers came up short. I thought the Sixers actually got some pretty good looks down the stretch and they it's just didn't convert him. enough yeah. of them. Yeah. Really that, that Tobias corner three was the only one that went down. I mean, Maxi, he, as the game went on, it felt like Cleveland got tired because they were so physical against him and they were chasing him around screens. And it felt like his, you know, he's got that motor that just keeps running and running. It felt like he started to get more separation on those threes, but he just couldn't make any tonight. And, you know, you look at Tyrese's uh, numbers tonight. What do we got? 11 of 28, 3 of 12 from 3, 5 of 7 from the line. I mean, I thought he had a couple good transition attacks in the second half. Like, he he drew that uh, that flagrant foul on uh, on Max Struess. But, yeah, like, just, just a lot of things where it, it felt like because they didn't try for the first half and even a little bit into the third quarter – it just places way too much stress on you. And yeah. by the end of it, they were gassed. Look, you're not going to play perfect basketball down a stretch, especially not when you're, like you mentioned, your mainstays, Tyrese Maxey playing 47 minutes in that game. Uh, Joel Embiid, 41. Tobias, 43. Melton, 41. Like, you're going to be gassed by the end of that. And when you put, like, it's just so tough to come back against an NBA team. When you, what were they down? 18, I think, at the, it, it's just, you had to be perfect. And I, it's hard to get mad that they missed some shots down the stretch when they played like dog shit defensively for the first half. That's really, I think we're going to spend so much time and I think fans are going to spend a lot of time looking at what they didn't do down the stretch. They really lost that game in the first half and almost salvaged it with a pretty good defensive effort. They missed a, a lot of wide open layups, including, I mean, you know, most of them were on fast breaks, whether it's Melton or Tobias had a lefty layup. That was a good move in transition that he just missed. I mean, Joel missed one of the easiest ones you'll ever see from him. He wasn't even moving that fast and just missed that shot. I mean, obviously he wasn't making his jumpers quite as much either. There was that one possession where, you know, he like pump faked a million times. It was, it was a brutal possession down the stretch, but yeah, like, look, they, this team has to be a high effort team. And I I just, I, when they don't have it, I'm kind of worried about how, how poorly uh, they play. I do agree. There's a a very active check going on here tonight. And again, if you're not, if you don't join us for the live streams, maybe go check that out. Go to YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification to get icons, hit the bell icon to get notifications. As I screw that up, you can join us in the live chat as well. Little bit of panicking going on in the chat, maybe a little bit of overreactions, but I do agree with Marty Bones, who says that not playing another game on that god awful court is at least something, a good thing we can take away from that one. Don't like looking at that on my I TV. Do even, not like even if they won and they, they played seriously poorly in those games. 
Yeah, they lost both. Did they lose both of the home? Yeah, it's, I blame the court. That's yeah. the only logical conclusion. All right, let's uh, tell you about a couple of our sponsors here as we get into more of tonight's game. First up, we want to tell you about not really a new sponsor anymore, but one of our sponsors in Team Chocolate Milk, Pennsylvania Dairy Farmers and Team Chocolate Milk. True athletes, professional and college athletes, have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for a long time. Chocolate milk provides high-quality protein for muscle repair, electrolytes for hydration, and calcium for strong bones. That's why studies consistently show that chocolate milk is an ideal sports recovery beverage. Whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym, a run-around boathouse row, or a bike ride on a Schuylkill Trail, chocolate milk is an ideal post-workout beverage. Taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero on your workout routine. Give your body what it needs to properly recover. What could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in Pennsylvania that also tastes great? Learn more about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. And on a sort of similar note there, I want to tell you about Hero Bread. Uh, like I've mentioned, I've been working to trim off some pesky of the, some of the la final pesky few pounds, like I'm sure many people are. And in doing so, I've been trying to use a brand name low carb bread for years. Uh, and with us trying out hero bread here in a studio, I put in order on my own. So I can transition to hero bread as not only do I find it a better fit for my dietary needs, but it tastes delicious. And they have a wide variety of offerings from sliced bread, tortillas, burgers, and hot dog buns, and more delivered directly to your door. Enjoy all the tastes without the guilt. The bread is fluffy, delicious, and flavorful, flavorful, high in fiber and low on net carbs with fewer calories than the leading national brand and five to 10 grams of protein per servant. And you can either place a one-off order or set up a subscription so you can get hero bread delivered to your door every two weeks, every month, or whatever you need to make sure you're stocked up and ready to go. Right now, hero bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their first order. Just go to hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on hero bread today. That's H E R O.co to save 10% today. So I guess let's go back to Maxi because he did, I think, turn it on a little bit offensively there in the fourth quarter. Uh, Had he, that, just, he just missed that layup. That layup was, uh, honestly, and I think there's been some criticism on uh, Nick Nurse and some of the sets that they designed tonight. That one I thought was a really good look. It rolled around the rim as much as you could, uh, and it just didn't fall. You know what play that was? That was the Jason Tatum, Boston makes the three uh, against the Sixers at the end of regulation last year where you you start your guard this in this time, it was Maxi. It was Tatum last year. Throw it to uh, throw it to Embiid and give that guard a, a running start. Um, yeah, really good play. And yeah, I mean, I think um, you know we were talking about it in the second half. I thought Maxi's burst as the game went on started to look better. Like I think Cleveland yeah. just wore down. Like he he started to get some separation on those drives. But ultimately, I thought you know physicality bothers him, right? And yep. length bothers him. And Cleveland both has some pretty strong players on the perimeter, like. A lot of Max Struess on him tonight. I thought uh, I thought Dean Wade did a pretty good job on him tonight. I didn't know Dean Wade could move like that, but uh, he uh, he did a good job. And then you have to finish over Mobley and Allen yep. once you get into the paint. Tristan Thompson also played well. Um, yeah, so I, I just thought it was a tough game for him. You know, it, it's funny. When when the game started, they were trapping Maxi right? And there were a couple passes in the first half where I thought Maxi did a really good job of skipping that ball to the opposite corner. Sixers had some mixed success on that. But, uh, yeah, like, uh, it's kind of, you know, he's been up and down the last couple of weeks, I would say, right? Yeah. You know, where it's it's nice that he's getting all these threes up, 12 threes. I like that. I, I like most of the looks he took tonight, I would yep. say. But certainly when teams can get him inside the arc and play him with physicality, kind of like Indiana did in that second game with Bruce Brown and some of those players, like, he can struggle. He can be a pretty inefficient player at times. Yeah. And he still looks like he's trying to find the right balance of when to try to draw a foul, when to try to go in to actually finish around the rim. Uh, I thought he had some hits that he took in the first half. Maybe he didn't get the call. Maybe he got a little frustrated. Seemed to do a little better job of that there in the second half. But you're right. When a three's not going in, and I, I agree, most of those looks he got I thought were pretty good looks, certainly shots that he can make. They didn't go in. Those nights are going to happen. Um, but he just didn't really seem like he had a great way to attack Cleveland's size inside, which isn't a huge shocker. Um but it was one where he struggled. And it's, um, you know, when Embiid comes out and he's kind of throwing the ball around a little bit in the first quarter, starting off the game a little slow. I know he ended up with 10 first quarter points, but some of those turnovers were pretty bad. Ugh. You needed a pretty big lift from Maxi, And Maxi gave it to you at times. Like the second quarter, he had a stretch where he was pretty good. 
fourth quarter, he made some big shots. But overall, on the balance, he certainly struggled, I think, with Cleveland's size and length. Didn't it feel like, you know, all of the things that have been positive in these first couple of weeks of the season, the, the off-ball movement, the cutting, you know, kind of the, the unpredictability of this team, it didn't feel like the Sixers had that a lot tonight. Like, it felt like a lot of Embiid ISO at the elbow, yeah. read the floor, but he wasn't creating good passing lanes with that. Obviously, like, he had to draw a lot of fouls to get his points tonight. Like, he wasn't very efficient from the field. It, it just did not, did not feel like... Outside of Maxi, they were really making the Cavs move as much as they've made other teams move. Yeah, and especially because I mean, this is—you mentioned it. This was a Cleveland team that came in pretty decimated with injuries. No Mitchell, no Levert, and Levert's given them—you know—18 off the bench. He's scoring, uh, certainly been a big part of their offense. And to come out with that defensive effort, I mean, it was—it was not only Garland, but like Porter Jr. What do you end up with? Nine assists. He's. He's pretty good, though. Look, he certainly played well tonight. I like him. And, you know, I, a lot of people bringing up in the chat the uh, defensive rebounding problems that the Sixers have. Sixers had here tonight. Cleveland grabbed offensive rebounds on 32% of their missed shots. That is not good. A lot of that happens, though, when your perimeter defenders are being beat as consistently as the Sixers are. And your big men have to step up, and the Sixers don't really then have anyone who can then pinch down and sort of uh, help out on the glass. It was a real bad effort on Defensive glass and just one or two of those possessions, if you can gain control of, could have really changed the game. And there are different types of offensive rebounds, right? Like I think Jared Allen had six. I would argue a lot of those are a guard gets beat off the dribble, right. and Bead can test the shot and it's a miss, and it's it's a Kobe assist for the other guy um, as as Allen is laying the ball back in. Um, those like look, the guards have to do a better job, kind of cracking back and getting in front of Allen, making it difficult on them. Like some of those Dean Wade offensive rebounds at the end of the game, I, I thought the Sixers played really good defense on a lot of those possessions, but they just didn't get the board. And, you know, were, were they too exhausted to get the board? Were they kind of bad bounces on some of these long-range shots where Dean, Dean Wade just kind of ran the ball down? I don't know. It, it certainly hurt them, and they were probably one board away a couple of times at the end of the game from finishing things off. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of it boils down to just – they need to be a little stronger on the perimeter in terms of their defense. Yeah. And if they are going to get beat, if they are going to play this system where, hey, we're going to funnel guys towards Embiid, man, they, they better be sharp on the weak side in terms of their rotations and their effort. And I just didn't think it was there for most of the game tonight, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I mean, like, I feel like, like I said, every time I have Rich here in the studio, we talk about a loss. It, not literally true, but it feels pretty close. A couple of those last week there, like the Boston one, you said, all right, well, this was a frustrating game, but you don't really want to take too much away from it. I feel like this one, though, and again, there's no single game that I'm going to want to take too much away from. The perimeter defensive concerns, I think, are growing, and there's something that I don't want to say I was surprised by because you're always concerned about Maxi, but you thought maybe with, you know, Harden out, with placing that with a few more, a, a little more length at least uh, on the perimeter, they would be a little better defensively. Um, that I think is probably that along with the lack of, of ball handling on the second unit uh, when Maxi goes to the bench. Those are probably my two biggest concerns and one that's starting to linger maybe a little longer than I expected. Yeah, and, and I think those possessions I'm talking about where Embiid has the ball at the at the elbow and just nothing is happening. No movement. Yeah. It's static. It's kind of just Joel. Hopefully you can hit a step back jumper. That's when Maxi is not in the lineup, right? That's the, You're seeing that happen a lot. Um can we talk about a positive thing? Because I feel like we are we are being negative, and it's like, yeah, the effort was really poor, and I think we wanted to establish that. Um, I couldn't believe how well Pat Bev played yeah. on the stretch. Yep. No, look, I, I feel like we're going to talk a lot about lack of ball handling, not having a true point guard there with that second unit. I still think that Beverly has a role on the squad uh, because of what he can do defensively. You pointed out earlier, he was really the only one getting over top of screens with any kind of consistency whatsoever, uh, and the only one who was you know, not putting your big men in a disadvantaged position. You just need, you need, you need him to be playing off ball more. You need another player who can create a shot. So when Max goes to the bench, you have an offense, but I do think defensively he has, has impressed me more. I didn't know how much he had left in the tank off or defensively. He looks pretty good for sure. I agree with that. I mean, he made the, the play where I'm not sure if he, he traveled, but he, he kicks the ball out after the, uh, the offensive rebound. Right. And, uh, just made effort plays, and that, and then he ends up scoring on a floater, which I think yeah. me and you both laughed at because um, 
Yeah. No, there was a second where I thought we were talking about a Pat Bev game-winning floater, and that would have blown my mind. Well, it's funny because Nick Nurse subs him out for for offense or whatever. I, I thought he did a really good job on the rearview contests on Garland. And yep. Garland has been a guy who I, I feel like when now obviously we're in the studio watching this here, but when we're behind the basket and just watching these players up close, I would say there are a couple guys, but I, I tend to be more impressed by the smaller, quicker, shiftier guards. Like Kemba Walker was always a guy who I was just blown away by when he was at his peak. Sure, the Hornets would lose every night they played the Sixers, but Kemba would have 40 points and he would do it in a really impressive way. I feel like Garland is kind of the, one of that those like shiftier guards who just does a really good job of getting into the paint, using angles, really smart passer or whatever. Yeah. Feels like he always kind of cooks the Sixers. And uh, yeah, like I, I think Pat Bev did an awesome job on him down the stretch, right? He basically had the hardest assignment, right? The guy who was breaking down the Sixers defense the entire game. I was not expecting Pat Bev to be the one who put that fire out for the most part, but he was, so good for him. Yep. So let's go to some of the other bench players here, uh, whether that is Covington, House, Reed. What do you think of the other role players the Sixers had out there? I thought it was a bad Cub game. Um, I just thought his communication was poor. Like he, We talked about Maxi botching a couple switches. The one thing I will sort of say is he competed well on the glass. That was maybe his biggest contribution in this one. But other than that, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like I just think he, he wasn't really locked in in terms of the, the scheme, right? Like he just was making defensive mistakes and look, Cove has to be on top of that stuff too. Like that was the entire team, but he wasn't great. Uh, Marcus Morris played three minutes. And I think you said, get him off my screen. <laughs> I and think I said that every time he's played, but yes. And Nick nurse did get him off the yeah, screen. He, he only played three minutes. So it's not but the why, deal. why are we uh, anyway, go ahead. Uh, I thought Springer struggled. Yeah. I wouldn't have hated to see more Springer, though. Like, in terms of when your your perimeter defense getting beat as bad as it was, I agree with you. He played seven minutes. I thought he was pretty bad in those seven minutes. Sixers got outscored pretty handily in those seven minutes. I still might have given him a, a chance to get a second-half run just because you desperately needed anyone else outside of Pat Bev who could slow Cleveland's perimeter attack down, and he at least has a chance. But I understand he, why he was not good. There were there were a couple times I, I thought, again, he looked really good getting around the initial screen, like Craig Porter. And then Porter would just get to the basket on him, though. And it was kind of one of those weird things where I thought Jaden did the hard thing first, but just couldn't finish the play. Kind yeah. of uh, the Sixers' entire night in a, in a, in a microcosm there. Uh, Bo Jensen in the chat said that Covington got thrown off when Niang uh, threw his body weight on his elbow. That was true. That didn't yeah. look good. I thought that was uh, that was going to derail him for a while. Obviously, George on the other side tonight. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, not not a great game from the bench. You're not getting a lot of scoring. I mean, D. House played hard, but I don't know. Like, you know, yeah. he made his one step back three. That, he did. He did. And we were calling for it. That was good. It's patented D. House step back. I thought, look, I, I will say this. D. House, when they started to up the pressure on the wings and just – deny passing lanes, deny some of those dribble handoffs. I thought D house was part of stringing together those really good possessions. I just worry about his kind of lack of skill on the offensive end. It just feels like he struggles to catch the ball. Frankly, he does. I think you mentioned uh, during the game that he has brick hands. We have not seen a single minute of Paul Reed next to Joel Embiid. At least I don't believe we have throughout the course of the season, given how much they were struggling to clean up the glass after Embiid stepped up. Was this a, a, a possibility you thought where they might play him here well it's something that i think as we both have said like we're pretty skeptical of with the shooting big um, skeptics yep now I, I do think the defense could do some really interesting things with paul next to joel right when we talk about you know drivers getting into the paint and then trying to find shooters like if you have paul reed chaos agent on the back end of that i, I think you could create some turnovers right and and you know, the choice is shoot over Joel Embiid or try and throw a pass, like, to the weak side pass Paul Reed. That could be pretty hard. But we talked about those stagnant offensive yeah. possessions. It wasn't getting and any if, better. And if Paul. Paul is on the yep. floor, I'm just not sure how that gets better. Like, look, I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I know that's a big uh, just cause for fans. They want to see it. They want to, you know, see Paul and the experiment with Nick Nurse yep. doing goofy stuff. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but I, I just I don't have the highest hopes for it. So. No, I, I, I'm with you. I'm a huge skeptic on Paul Reed at the four. I don't necessarily like putting a non-shooter next to Embiid. I don't like putting another, I don't want to say a slow decision maker because Paul can be decisive at times, but a lot of times when he's decisive, it's not necessarily the right decision. 
I don't. I just. I. I want more ball movement, more player movement, more more space around Embiid. That being said, if there was one matchup where I thought there was a chance, it was this one. Not only because they tend to play a, lo- a decent amount of two big lineups, but because they they're able to beat the Sixers off uh, the dribble so much, and the combination of those two with the dribble penetration and the the people to clean up misses on the back end. It just felt like a game where they could have tried it out. And again, I don't have high hopes for it, but if you're going to try it out, or at least try it out before Paul had proven his, his perimeter shot, I think this was the one. Yeah. What did you make of that last possession? Because it's funny. I think a lot of people want the Sixers, you know, when the, when the score is tied and the shot clock is unplugged. Yeah. But by the way, the Wells Fargo Center shot clocks. What what the hell was going it's on? It's happened. Uh, how this happened, happened last year? Three times a year. Yeah, it was crazy. This is like amateur. It feels it feels like you're walking the palestra and you've got the little shot clock there on the floor. Like, what are we doing here? How does this happen on? three times a year? It's a hundred percent fair criticism. I don't understand it. Do you think the Sixers are, are unplugging them to try and get that new arena built to show, <laughs> you know, to get a little propaganda on I their mean, side? Look, they're a long ways away from that new arena. Like, I feel like that's really playing a long game there. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I actually just think it's it's an old arena, and I'm sure that's the issue. But I, I remember when Embiid had that great game against Jokic last year, the shot clocks were unplugged, and I wondered if Denver got a little, they got a little spooked by that at the end of it. They are there? Are there like stats that track this? There's got to be someone tracking this kind of thing. I feel like the Wells Fargo Center has to lead the league. Well, okay, so Boston leads the league in that their rims don't work. They're not the same height. Like, Right, right. I remember a shot clock or a full basket did not work in Dallas one game the Sixers played, and it was like a 45-minute delay. That was about as annoying as it got. They put magnets in the rims in Toronto. Yes, yes, they do. <laughs> um yeah, but the shot clocks didn't work here. And so when the shot clock is unplugged, some people I think would say run a play. It, it seems like every coach I follow, though, on the NBA just says, we're going to get one of our star players. So you're talking about the Embiid shot now at the end of regulation? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They, they say, we're going to get one of our star players, just kind of a mid-range shot so we can either win the game here or go to overtime. But it's typically not a very high percentage shot, I yeah. would say. And, you know, on that play, I actually thought Embiid created a decent amount of space there for, like, a straight ISO. Like, he had a pretty good look. I mean, he missed it by a mile. It felt like he might have been uh, tanking to try and get NBA Cup point <laughs> differential points in overtime. Yep. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you know, what did you think of that ISO call there? I mean, look, it is safe in terms of it's a low percentage turnover. Like, there's not – you're not going to – give them a chance to win. You're going to get a shot. You can, and I think a lot of the reason that uh, coaches like do that is because you can time it. So it goes up exactly when the clock ends. So that there's no chance that the other team has a chance to win it. I get that. I, I would prefer something a little more dynamic, like what they did with Tyrese Aaron overtime. What seems like when you're down, you get a lot more creativity from coaches. Um, it was a fine look for a kind of play that I don't like. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I, I would like them to run a play too, but it's, it's just wild that, you know, Nick Nurse, who has all of this ball movement, all of these off-ball cuts, like pretty much any coach that comes in here, they're going to get a terrible shot at the end. They don't yeah. run plays. It's crazy. I agree. All right. Uh, real quick, we want to tell you about game time so you can get down there to see the next overtime game. Hopefully this one comes out in your favor. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. The Sixers have the stress covered. Your ticket, where you get your tickets shouldn't contribute to that. Game time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets. Like I said, start stressing about your team and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. With GameTime, you get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set, with tickets sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So, Tobias. We've gotten over half an hour into the show. Tobias ended up with 23 points on 13 shots, 3 of 5 from 3, no turnovers, 
And was it the he tied it with the three, right? The game tying three. Yeah, he did. He 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 had a couple threes down the stretch, yeah. right? Where he had the one play where they run pick and pop for uh, I think it was for Embiid and and or swing to Max or Embiid swung it back to Maxi. Maxi with pass into the corner. Then there was another one where two Cavs basically just fumbled the ball right to Tobias on that left wing and he knocked it down. Um, yeah, it's kind of one of these things where it's been the story of Tobias's career, kind of good, bad, and different. You know, he kind of gets pushed to the background, right? Like we're, we're 30 minutes into a, a crazy game, a frustrating loss. If you, if you really do care about this team. Um, and we haven't really mentioned him yet. He was, that was pretty good. He was real good. That was maybe the, the quintessential Tobias game where he's playing his role perfectly. Uh, again, I think five, three point attempts. If there's one criticism we've had from Tobias this year, it's that he's, been a little bit hesitant to shoot from the perimeter. I thought he let it fly tonight. Uh, got a lot of good looks from there. Uh, I thought he was, this is sort of praising um, with faint praise, but I thought he was one of their more consistent defenders throughout the night. Um, I feel like most of the complaints I had, he wasn't involved in the action. Would have liked to see a little more effort maybe from him on the glass. Maybe that's my one criticism of him. But offensively, I thought at least this was a very good game. I like how he's being used. I think we, we've talked about the transition, but... They, they run that play. I think it's called Horn's Chin, where they start in a horn set, and then Maxi sets a flex, flex screen for him on the sidelines. And it's just, it's a good way eventually to flow into the Maxi MB two man game. But the first option on it is if Tobias gets the duck in, like he gets really good post position and he can kind of bully ball layup. He can shoot a nice little fadeaway and he's been making those. Um, he's been, he's been really good uh, and obviously made some big shots tonight. Um, he, he's basically one of the, the least of the Sixers issues, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I felt like he probably deserved a little more mention, but here we are going to move away from him after talking about him for two minutes. A, a good Tobias game. A little more effort on the glass, but real good offensively. What was Nick Batum thinking there on that last offensive rebound? Well, I mean, I don't know his life story, but obviously Joel, you know, came from, you know, he was thinking about playing volleyball in France <laughs> at one point. I don't know if Nick considered a career. He would be, those those volleyball guys, you ever watch the Olympics? They're huge. Oh, man. yeah. They're like, yeah. Six nine. There's five of them. It seems like a. But two very... seems like he could have been a good volleyball oh, player. Totally. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there, there's so many times when we say, "Oh, okay, you don't know how big like NBA size actually is." No, no, those volleyball guys at the Olympic level do. Um, that was bad. Yeah, I don't know. It was completely uncontested to the point where I was wondering, was there like a hand I didn't see no. in there that he was? Yeah, you watched to... it a couple times. Or well, I don't think there was anything we were missing. He just, I think he thought he had someone there on the wing, and he didn't. Just a, a real bad mental lapse there at what could have been a crucial moment. He right. didn't really stand out in terms of doing all that much. Um, maybe a couple nice passes there in the first half, but pretty quiet after that. Look, it's it's okay. Like, he has made so many high-level IQ plays. Like, I, I forget, a, a lot of people have said this on uh, on Twitter. He's the best entry passer Joel has played with in forever. Yeah. George was okay at it, but obviously he was a little shorter, so it was kind yeah, of like, and that's mostly just because George is such a knockdown shooter that people have to defend him out there. Smart player and a knockdown shooter, yep. yeah. Um, so Joel liked playing with him, but Tum is just like really savvy, smart player. Like it, it's funny, I said it in my newsletter the other day. Uh, he can go one for one in a game and actually be a real positive impact on offense. PJ Tucker can go one for one and it's a disaster, and it's it's so funny that. If you look at the, uh, I know, I know tonight Batum is minus three, but his plus minus numbers since joining the Sixers have been outrageous. Yeah, and PJs have been outrageous in the other direction. It feels like that was probably a bigger part of this trade than uh, than we thought. But yeah, he he had a frustrating night. Like I felt like he he committed a lot of fouls on the perimeter, trying to be physical, trying to fight through screens. And I think when you play that game, like sometimes those calls don't go your way. Um, so yeah. Rough night for him. Certainly not worried about him at all, though, moving forward. And I think he's definitely a starter. Like, I, I, I like him in that lineup. I, yeah. know, I know it didn't work out tonight, but he's that dude just knows how to play. I agree. Uh, and DeAnthony. Struggled a little bit here as I wipe off my screen. I had a little dust speck right where his three-point shooting percentage was. I thought it was pretty low, but I confirmed by cleaning my laptop screen. One for six from three. Uh, had a, a couple of missed shots around the rim. But again, I thought for the most part, the shots he took were good. Uh, I was okay with his his effort. Maybe some of the layups, KYP a little bit. No, you're not going to make that, even though he should make it. But uh, 
he was going to have a down night. Like he was shooting that. I think it was a 16 for 25 from three over his previous four games. You expected a little bit of a regression here, but a couple of those shots go in. It's a different story. Have you seen the Trill Bro dude? I think had this stat a couple of days ago. Have you seen the Melton three versus layup percentage? Oh God. He's making a higher percentage from three, isn't he? Way higher. Yeah. I think yeah. he's at like, for a minute there, he was below 30% on layups when the league average is like 60. <laughs> he uh, he is a complete adventure uh, going to the rim. Um, I think there are times where if you're Nick Nurse, it's it's tough to tell a player, like, don't attack one-on-one for a layup, but it's almost like I would want him to pull up and keep shooting it. Um, but no, he's been, it's the weird thing where he's been actually pretty good. I, like, obviously he got beat a few times by Garland tonight. I felt like he just, for some reason, Pat Bev, he threaded that needle between being physical on the perimeter but also not getting back cut because those back cuts put the Sixers in a lot of rough positions on the, on the back line. Like some of those Joel lobs over the, over the top, that was DeAnthony overplaying Garland yep. and, uh, and that happening. But I, I like how Melton is playing for the most part. And, you know, I think Kyle wrote about this in the, uh, in, in one of his observations a few weeks ago, like he's just going to make and miss threes at, at different points. Like yeah. it's, a, it, he, he compared it to Danny green. I completely agree. Like the, the offensive part, you just have to live with this guy is a very streaky player. Sometimes those threes are going to go in. Didn't go in for him the night. Sometimes they're not. But you, you just want to see him making those effort yeah. plays on defense. And look, would you prefer it if you were maybe a little more consistent off the bounce, you know, attacking the rim off of closeouts or someone you can rely upon to make a layup in transition so he could offset some of that streakiness? Yes, but that's not who DeAnthony is. And I do agree with you. He de- definitely got beat off ball a couple times here. That was frustrating. The whole team was frustrating, so it's not isolated to him in the first half, but he was certainly a part in that. But at the very least, you know, he was getting his hands on balls. He was trying to force turnovers, trying to ignite them on the break. He was like, the results weren't there for DeAnthony. I don't have, outside of a couple of those off ball cuts, I don't have a problem with the way he played though. Certainly comes up with like a highlight reel dunk every couple of games too. Yeah, that putback was, yep, yep, for sure, for sure. What's your, do you have any overall, I mean, we mentioned a little bit the perimeter defense. We mentioned a little bit the stagnant offense. Do you have anything else that's sort of like an overall overarching concern that you might take from this game and apply it forward? Lack of a killer instinct and not taking advantage of the NBA cup (laughs) being right in front of them. If you take care of business at home, how dare these guys not want to go to Vegas? Yeah. Do we, do we even know what happens? They're just going to play kind of a couple of round Robin games because while this is going on, I, I believe that's how it works. I think they just play kind of losers bracket games that turn into regular season games here. I, I as you I can think, tell, I haven't been paying yeah. too much attention. Well, because they only put eighty games on the schedule. There's two games that you then have to make up. It could either be in the you know the the, the finals play in Vegas, or it could be in the round robin. Uh, the Sixers will not qualify. The Pacers won their their group Group A. With a just absolutely stunning, what was it, 157 to 152 <laughs> win over the Atlanta Hawks, uh, which was, I didn't get a chance to watch it. We were following the score pretty closely. We did, we should have, we really should have put that game up on another TV. I feel, feel like there was a chance it might have been distracting, though, because that's just a score you don't see. And that was a, by the way, that 157 to 152, I think that was a score. I think I, I think I have it right. That was a regulation game. They were within 11 points of tying the, uh, Point total, the overall point total of 320 uh, in a regulation NBA game, which was set at least 30 years ago. It might be a little longer than that. I feel like it was right around 1990. Just a wild way to end. Uh, But hey, they're the all-time Group A champions in in in-season tournament play. Indiana Pacers. Yeah, well, the Sixers will have to wait until next year for their chance to to go to Vegas. It It is kind of funny that they've had generally what most people would say is a very... um kind of impressive start like with how they've been unexpectedly this great offense, but they have not timed their losses correctly because uh, I don't know. It was two of their worst efforts, right? The Indiana game, the, the second Indiana game, and then this one just, uh, just wasn't good enough. And, you know, it's funny that Joel was, he started this by, uh, you know, by gunning at the end of the game, looking for point differential against, uh, against Detroit yeah. when they blew them out and they just, they didn't show up. Ash asking in the chat whether or not those games are currently on the schedule. They are not. Not yet. There's a 10-day break between, I think it's, I think the last game the Sixers play is December 1st against Boston. The next game they play is December 11th. They would happen in the 
that spin. Um, what do you think about, because they played a couple games against the Pacers here earlier. What do you think about that team? Like, how do you, how do you take, because they're, they're so fast paced, generate so many threes, have such good offense, and are just such a train wreck defensively. How do you think that translates? I think they play the goofiest style in the NBA. A hundred and what was this, 157? 152, game? yeah. I mean, come on. I, at some point, I think a team is going to limit their transition attack. Like like you mentioned this tonight. They, they're being compared to the seven seconds or less Suns. No, no, no. Th- those Suns teams feel like, you know, like the 04 Pistons compared, yeah. to, uh, compared to the Pacers. I mean, they're a lot of fun to watch. Halliburton is kind of a tremendous passer, but... Uh, it is just a kind of a very goofy style. You know, you know what I found kind of crazy? Like it feels like the Sixers, because in recent years, they've been considered one of the the glamour teams in the NBA. And it feels like the national TV matchups against the good teams get backloaded, right? Those are the games in February and March, those type of things. Their schedule right now is pretty hard. Like yeah. Cleveland tonight, Minnesota, OKC next. They're the two top teams in the West yeah. right now. Lakers, New Orleans, Boston, it, it will get a lot easier after that kind of heading into Christmas. But this has been kind of a difficult little stretch for for them here. Yeah, and it's it's going to get, I mean, I, I'm really interested to see how they, you know, go up against the Wolves, how they respond on a back-to-back, how they defend Ant, who's a real rising star in the league and one of the most entertaining players to watch, and somebody who they probably don't have a necessarily natural matchup to go against you know i think you would look at the sixers roster and a lot of players are either too short like melton or maybe a little older like covington or batum they don't have a natural wing defender like that or maybe someone like daniel house who you don't necessarily trust as much as some of the other options but it is going to be a uh you know i mean that's a that's a real good are they still the top ranked defense or are they falling like two or three i no, think no, boston no. might be number one now. they were still one I were think. they still one yeah okay so yeah that, that is going to be a real good real good test here for the Sixers. All right. Before we get to that, and again, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. I know that the chat has been pretty active, uh, maybe a little bit, a little, a little too much panic, but pretty active. We appreciate you. We understand the frustration. We will try to get to Kyle here from the Wells Fargo Center as well. Before that, a quick word from FOCO. FOCO is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it being football and tailgating season, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, and bags, everything you need for a game, FOCO has. And FOCO has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY10 for 10% off. Again, that's P-H-L-Y-10. Yeah, I'm not sure I have too much here to wrap up. It was, look, some of the threes not falling, and the Sixers shot 11 for 35 from three. Maxi specifically three for 12. I'm just happy he got 12 threes up. I'm happy that they were able to generate a decent chunk of threes. If they're able to make a little bit more of that, being able to create 10 more threes, then the Cavs could have helped close some of that deficit. Uh, they got to the free throw line at times obviously largely led by Embiid. It's really that defense in the first half. Like it's like I said, you're going to have nights where the shots just aren't falling. Maybe nights where Tyrese Maxey hasn't yet figured out how to navigate a bigger lineup, a more physical team. If you just execute defensively, give good effort, get your rotations down, I think you have a chance. And they were just nowhere near good enough in the first half. What have you made of of kind of nurse nurse's goofy stuff? Like when, when he mixes in zone, like like how how do you think? Well, that zones going? for cowards. I don't. I'm I'm right with you. I don't like zone. Well, but when you're getting that's beat, a, up, that's a callback to something I've said for a long time. A long time, uh, and my opinion on that hasn't really changed. But when you can't keep your man in front of you, like you've got to try some stuff. Um, honestly, he hasn't been quite as crazy as I think I expected. Yeah, and even the the sort of really chaotic defense that I think we saw in the first couple games and certainly that we saw in the preseason hasn't been quite as chaotic as maybe I would have expected. Now, like you mentioned, part of it is that when you're routinely getting beat off the dribble like they were tonight and you don't have the energy to recover, it can leave you out of position. Um, but I, it's, I think Nick overall has been good. I think most of my you know, praise of him, though, would come offensively. Not necessarily tonight because I feel like tonight they were a little bit stagnant. But a lot of the cutting that we saw beforehand, 
um, especially the first week or two of the season. I think that's where he's made the biggest imprint. It's 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 weird. We thought it would be on the defensive end, but it's it's back to his initial um, you know reputation as kind of an offensive guru. Because I, I think you're clearly right. Through this first little part of the season, I've been much more impressed with kind of the things they're running on offense than defense so yep. far. All right, I think we have Kyle here checking in from the Wells Fargo Center. How you doing, Kyle? What's up, boys? It's uh, chaos here as usual. They're <laughs> in the process of dragging something outside the, the hallway right now. I don't have my headphones working at the moment, so I'm about as prepared as the Sixers were to play this game tonight. Can you can you fight over a screen? Uh, I guess that's debatable. It depends who's setting the screen. <laughs> Fair point. Embiid was setting with, with five fouls. The screens he was setting were pretty funny. Obviously, he didn't want to pick up a six, but he, he was just standing there getting out of the way. So I guess what was what was the overall focus there of Nick's post-game press conference? Where did he really pin the blame on the loss? I think physicality was the key or the theme, I would say. He said the first half, if they were – Grading on a scale from 1 to 10, it would have been a 2. Joel, after the game as well in the locker room, said something to the effect of we we never got into the ball, which I tend to agree with him. There was a lot of plays. Now, certainly Joel didn't play his best defense for, I'd say, like two and a half quarters there and had some moments in the second half, certainly. Uh, And then he just got hung out to dry on some of those plays, though. Tyrese just getting killed. I think I saw Rich tweet at some point during the game, thought it was spot on that Tyrese was just getting destroyed for stretches of that game. I think they did try to do some different things in the second half between changing the matchups. They even had Joel Blitz and Hedge a little bit, which that was you know pretty out of the ordinary for them, which that I think showed that their normal defense just wasn't good enough and maybe wasn't getting them rolling enough. So Nick saw fit to change it up if for no other reason than to get these guys playing a different way, I guess. Did they say anything about, I mean, cause like you mentioned two and a half quarters, just embarrassing defense, like just no effort. I think a two is probably generous. I think give them the lowest score possible, maybe even a zero on, on a one to 10. The, the last quarter though was unbelievable. Did they kind of talk about what, what changed there? Like I, I just thought they were completely flying around. It was really impressive. Yeah, not really. I mean, they kind of were focused on, I think actually Nick said something to the effect of it should be a good lesson for everyone. You can't just ease into games against good teams, right? Like, yes, they were able to dial it up and, you know, play better defense. I think somebody like DeAnthony specifically you saw, even in overtime, still had a lot of gas left as jumping passing lanes and, and making plays. But you could see it on Joel. Like, he clearly was fatigued by the end of that game after having to go pretty much full go for most of the second half shots were not dropping for him. I thought that was an extension of that. So yeah, I think it was number one. They just played harder schematically. They did some different stuff. And I think they also came away thinking, and Nick said this specifically, look, there's a couple shots specifically in overtime, the, the maxi layup that he missed. And then the tip in that rolls out that that just kind of a, not your night sort of deal. There's another play I can remember, DeAnthony wide open on a cut in the second half, ball hits his hands and had nobody within like 10 feet of him on a Joel pass. And even like you go even further back, start of the second half, the I think it was the first three Cleveland hit, the shot clock should have expired based on how the ball pinballed around and they somehow reset the shot clock for Cleveland and they end up hitting a three out of it. That ends up being the difference between winning the game in regulation or going to overtime. So... Just a whole whole lot of things happening outside of the defensive stuff, I guess. But they didn't have enough. I know Nick said before the game that the plan, at least going in, was for Joel to play both ends of the back-to-back. Did he mention anything whether or not that is still the plan here as they head to Minnesota? I would imagine that an overtime game maybe changes the calculus a little bit. That they're probably going to get in a little later than they would have otherwise. So less rest on top of, you know, playing this big game. Joel in the locker room said tonight, you know, he's been a bit banged up a bit recently, which seems to be an indication Is he still talking that about the hip there. Uh, he didn't actually clarify what he meant. I would assume that that's part of it. He did not. Nobody has painted that. Uh, 
brush up with Cameron Johnson in Brooklyn as any sort of problem with the knee or anything. So I would assume that it's on the hip. But yeah, the fact that he's bringing that up now before they even leave for Minnesota sort of leads me to believe that his status is in jeopardy. Kyle, I don't know if you're seeing the chat, but there's a lot of Pistons talk in the chat right now. Our boy, our boy Weave had a tough week, man. <laughs> what is our boy Weave going to do? I mean, the, what our boy Weave should do is construct a real basketball team. And, and failing that, you know, maybe have a chat with Monty Williams about starting fucking Killian Hayes and, you know, doing some goofy shit like that. Here's the other thing. I mean, I brought it up on the show with Derek before. I don't know why, why or how the Pistons have really come up tonight, but... <laughs> I just don't think Cade Cunningham is good enough to be the guy. Like you can say that there are all kinds of team construction issues and he's, it's a suboptimal fit, whatever. I mean, the guy's shooting what? Like fucking 41% from the field for the third straight year in a row. Yeah. Like, I I mean, at a certain point, that guy's just not good enough to justify being like, Oh, that's the, the guy upon which the franchise is built. So as much as the rest of the roster is a problem and weave is going to probably make some, insanely stupid midseason trades to attempt to save his job i just you know uh, the the guy needs to be the guy to some extent i agree with that I, I think it's funny that the pistons main move in terms of building a roster is just pay a coach like a billion dollars that's that's all they got right now and I, think, <laughs> I think they need to do a little more than that um, well there were no uh stinky bigs that they could pay like 70 million dollars <laughs> over four years so I, you know they're already, they're already i guess he was boxed into these moves uh pet bev pretty good huh i mean besides all the stupid fouls that he committed which it I mean, was i'm, I'm it baking those like, in though yeah i i th- it was perfect pat bev game in that he hits the big shot and everybody's going crazy. And then he immediately fouls Darius Garland That's and true. hits the dying free throws because of that. Like, I will say this. I think Pat in some ways is just in a tough spot where he shouldn't be a primary ball handler in any lineup. And is having to do that for essentially like 10 minutes a night, at least right now, it's like him and DeAnthony splitting those duties. And if you put him next to a real guy, I think some of those problems disappear. But then if you get a real guy, I'd rather just see Springer in that spot anyway. So I I love the Pat Bev experience and have for a long time, but just seems like a kind of weird, weird fit here as much as I love the, the effort plays and all that. Outside of the overall effort and physicality, what else did you see that, um, you know, them getting beat so badly on the uh, offense or on the defensive glass Allen getting six, uh, a couple of key offensive rebounds. What do you think? What do you attribute that to? Well, some of that you would say, speaking of Pat Bev, they're playing three guys who are six, three and under against the lineup where you're playing Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And on top of that, if we're talking about the offensive glass for Cleveland specifically, you know, if Darius Garland is beating Maxi and beating all these other guys like a drum, and putting Joel in no man's land where either he steps up to challenge Garland and Lob gets thrown over his head, or he sits back and Garland gets a runner, you know, there's going to be a free body at some point. You know, like God bless Tobias and Batum and Melton, some of these other guys, but Mobley can at the very least offensive rebound over those guys and is gonna have the size and athleticism advantage over pretty much all those guys. So I, I mean that's a big part of it, but also some effort stuff in the first half, just getting outplayed. And then I think as the game wore on, like I said earlier, I think running out of gas was a big problem as well. Uh, last one for me. When Maxi struggles, what what is kind of the common denominator in your estimation? So I, I think the interesting thing tonight was they were they're able to throw some different stuff at them, you know, some bigger defenders and, you know, Struce for a possession here and there, Dean Wade possessions here and there. They're trapping him at times. I think the one common theme for me, though, is that he settles for a lot of runners and floaters. And look, at he's great at those shots. That was probably the first thing we really saw when he made the jump to the NBA. Like, oh, this kid's got an NBA-level floater package. But there have been times this season, and he's admitted to this, that he's trying to sell contact too much. And I think how that plays out for him is that 
instead of going all the way to the rim and, and you know making the officials make a call he's doing the joel to a little bit where he's swinging his arm up and taking a floater from maybe a little bit too far out and you know, those are low percentage shots even for guys who are good at those for him so you know that i think is a problem i did see i think and he avoided questions about this after the game he had a, a rap on i believe it was his thumb and you know wouldn't really get into what's wrong there how that happened so we're gonna have to see if there's any kind of physical issue that he's dealing with right now as well at practice the other day uh nick nurse brought up the possibility of playing paul reed next to joel Embiid. uh that didn't happen here against the Cavs. uh given the fact that they did have so much so much success on the offensive glass that joel Embiid was having to step up to contest the ball handler if we don't if we didn't see it tonight and we don't see it uh, tomorrow against the Wolves, is it time to sort of put that to rest as a real possibility, at least for the foreseeable future? I would probably say so, as apparently there's a train coming through the Wells Fargo Center, so apologies <laughs> if there's any background noise over there. Uh, I actually thought at halftime that that was probably the perfect time to say, fuck it, we need to try something different and get Paul some minutes here just because the energy was bad, the defense was bad, and... Something needed to be done to switch the vibe up at the very least. Now, as you guys said, I think they were capable of, or they proved capable of doing that themselves. But I guess tomorrow the question is, is Joel even going to play yeah. for them to have a chance to play the double big lineups? I, I think if, if you're not going to play it this week, I agree with you. I don't know if we're ever going to see it. So if Joel suits up, I, I would really like to see it. Not because I think it's necessarily going to work, but because if you're not going to do it now, when is the experimentation coming that I think a lot of people have been hoping for? Which, by the way, the experimentation we got tonight was Batum at center at the end of the first half with fucking Marcus Morris coming into the game. No, thank you. I don't need that experiment. Put that back in the lab <laughs> to never be seen again, please. All right. I think that is all that I have from you. You good? All right. Thank you for jumping on, Kyle, and we'll talk to you soon. Tomorrow. Good to see you, fellas, and I'll see you tomorrow night, yep. Derek. See you, man. I, I think the point he made about Maxi is a good one in terms of settling for floaters because yeah. that, look, as much shit as Doc Rivers gets around here, I think that was one of the positive things he did. You yeah. Know, when when Maxi comes in as a rookie, he's shooting these floaters, and they, they look beautiful when they go in. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And look, Floaters are a very valuable shot, you know, when you're at the end of the shot clock and you're trying to get the ball over a shot blocker. Like, I think Joel could probably use one of those a little bit more as well. Um, Weren't they talking about him working on that in the offseason? I think that was a, a talking point. Yeah. So, but Doc, Doc correctly pointed out, hey, man, like, these don't go in enough and you never get fouled on them to uh, to take a ton of them. So he, he said, you know, get get your fingernails on the backboard start attacking a little bit more. And I think th there is kind of two things going on here, right? I, I think number one, like Kyle said, you have a guy who was never really drawn fouls at a high level in his young career. He's got a lot of time, Yep. but I, I think there are probably going to be some difficult nights as he is seeking out more contact. Right. And that might throw the rest of his game off. The other thing I would add here is that I think there is a difference between the floater and the runner. Like mm -hmm. I'm okay with running layups from like, five feet, you know, if he's kind of re really his momentum is going towards the basket. I've seen him have pretty efficient games with that. It's the floater that's like maybe like moving away from the basket from like eight feet. There, I think there's a big difference between those two shots yeah. for him. And, um, you know, some of that is just getting separation, right? Like, like Cleveland did a really good job tonight staying attached to him. And that's, uh, that's something he's going to have to work on. But like, look, this is Tyrese Maxey trying to become a number one option going to have ups he's going to have downs um but I, I think we're starting to see what the down nights are starting to look like more like that when, when he's not getting that separation when teams are physical with him that's when he can struggle a little bit yeah and look you you, you brought it up uh, he is shooting currently 52 51.8 on runners synergy uh, which is what we use to track that sort of lumps runners and floaters into the same bucket uh, so that is a good percentage. The problem is he takes about one free throw attempt for every 10 runner that he attempts. He doesn't get the free throw line on them. So 51.8% is a legitimate effective field goal percentage of 58 point, maybe a little bit lower in, or higher in terms of true shooting, but you're not going to get a super high point per shot 
total with that because you're never going to get fouled. And even someone like him who makes a really good percentage of them, it's just going to be tough to have a full diet of them. And when you have nights like tonight where it didn't feel like he knew exactly when to attack, when to really challenge at the rim, or when to settle for that floater, it's going to be a struggle. And I do think the size and physicality of the Cavs certainly play a role in that. I think it's part of Maxi's growth to become a little more comfortable and competent drawing fouls so that he can you know, just get to the line and, and have a little more of a consistent output against these tougher teams. Yeah, I mean, he's shooting 59% at the rim this year, I think. That could stand to improve a little bit, but yeah. he's also, you know, he's also drawing more fouls. So, yeah. look, I think we're seeing kind of the, you know, the trial and error with Tyrese Maxey as the top option here. And I'm okay with it because the highs have been high enough where I want to see more of it. Yeah, I agree. Look, Maxey's been fantastic. And again, I've got an article coming where it will uh, dive into some of those numbers. Down night for sure, had flashes, uh, but really, like, I will, what do you shoot, 11 for 28 for his 30 points. I will live with those nights if the defense was a little better. The defense from him, from the team, from everyone was my overarching uh, takeaway from this game. But I think that's probably, we've probably beaten that horse to death a little bit. Probably a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. See you, everybody. <laughs>